Welcome to The Lifeline, a production of Simply DJE Incorporated. The goal of this podcast is to build, inspire, and to empower our audience by speaking life and adding value to their day. We invite you to follow us on Facebook and TikTok, to like us on Instagram and Twitter, and to subscribe to us on YouTube. Now, let's tune in for today's episode. Top of the day, everyone. I trust that you are well, and thank you for joining us for this episode of The Lifeline. I'm your host, Barry J. Elliott, also known as BJE. The purpose of The Lifeline is to speak life, to add value to your day, and to tackle real-life issues with a practical yet a spiritual approach. You can visit us at www.simplybje.com and on social media at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So let's talk. Today, I'm privileged to have one of my friends and brother, author, recording artist, and pastor, Reverend Dr. Timothy Wortham, with us today. <laughs> Reverend Wortham, how are you today, sir? I am doing well, and I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. That's not to patronize you. Your schedule is ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate you being here between ministry, your job, and your family. You have a lot going on, not yes, to sir. mention your other endeavors. So I appreciate this greatly. So I honestly had something else planned for today. But after yesterday's Supreme Supreme Court decision, I think it would be socially irresponsible for me not to talk about what's happening. As many know, affirmative action provided professional and educational opportunities for underrepresented communities. And as I watched the news last night, I have to be honest, I was both angered and saddened. So what were your initial thoughts when you found out about the Supreme Court decision? Now, let me say this for you, for those that don't know it, they overturned affirmative action. So affirmative action no longer exists per se in America. So what were your initial thoughts? Uh, well, unfortunately, my initial thoughts were, I'm not surprised. And that is a sad commentary. Wow. Uh, I, I did, uh, especially because I work not only in higher education, but at an Ivy League institution, um, our conversations in recent weeks have been preparing for that particular decision, because that is where we felt like things were headed. We thought that that, that was the direction in which the court was leaning. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wish I could say that I was as as shocked or as saddened as some people. I really did expect it, unfortunately. Wow. Um, I'm really about to cry. That's horrible. Um, so let me ask you, so do you think that to some degree that's because um, of course, because you had a, you know, you had the foreknowledge professionally, but do you also think that there is some level of being numb? There is probably uh, a bit of me just being desensitized by these sorts of moments, just because of the regularity with which we experience them in this in this current climate. Uh, but. Yeah, I think more than anything, it was really just having these conversations because we had to consider, all right, how are we going to then communicate with our alumni? How are we going to communicate with potential applicants? How are we going to communicate with the community broadly um, at the institution uh, with regard to uh, this decision juxtaposed against our commitment, our ongoing commitment to diversity? Makes sense. So uh, let, let's take a turn for a moment. So that was your perspective or your thoughts as a man what were your initial thoughts or your thoughts uh even afterwards as a father of brown boys and girls 
that now that is where the disappointment comes in, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of just thinking about not only my children, but all children, all black and brown children, all um, underrepresented populations who now are subject to I mean, so here's the here's the issue, in my opinion, at least. why did affirmative action have to be created to begin with? If we go back to the impetus of affirmative action, then the second question is, has that been fixed? Has that been solved? Has that been changed? And if the answer there is no, then how then can we say the time has come to do away with? Great point, great point. I think one of the things that, um, as I was watching the news and just considering all of the things that were happening. I went back to Dr. King's conversation. I think it was on CBS back in 1964. And he made a statement. He said, I'm all for a man pulling himself up by his bootstraps. He said, but what does a man do when he doesn't even have boots? And so the idea was that minorities, in particular African-Americans, are already at a disadvantage. So when you're already at a disadvantage, how do you play or is it even possible to play catch up? And therein lies the issue, um, because this is not a question of merit as much as it is a question of access. And so if you are going to say that, um, you know, we're all judged by the exact same standard, uh, then it's already un- an unfair standard because we're not all we're not all being judged from the exact same level of access. And so you don't know that this student is not stellar because they went to an inner city public school and and were you know an honor student there versus someone who had an opportunity to go to a very prestigious in- institution and was an honor student there taking AP courses and honors courses that weren't necessarily even offered. It wasn't that this this first student could not handle that kind of workload. It wasn't that they weren't intelligent enough to to master uh, the content. It was that it was not an option. And so they're being punished now. They're going to be punished for lack of options, not for lack of intellect. That's the operative word, options. I'm not sure if we've had this conversation before, but I can remember during the pandemic, um, I was driving in a particular area of Charlotte. There had been a, a bad accident, so I had to take a detour. And there were like these houses in the cut. And when I when I saw people coming out of the houses and they were um, they were Caucasian. And of course, you know, I'm not racist, but I think at that time I had just received a book from my mother about redlining. And so it just made me think about all of the options that African-Americans don't get yes, um, because of lack of exposure, lack of opportunities lack of resources. And so for me, this affirmative action, um, the revoking of affirmative action kind of is a reminder of that, a painful reminder, I might add. So oh, go ahead, please. No, I, I was just going to say, and to that point, you know, the the naive who would argue for this decision would say that certain things like redlining and race restrictive covenants and things of that nature no longer exist. And so we don't have to um, have these counteractions in place. They don't exist explicitly. Let's be very clear. Let's be very clear that those who have power can make decisions with or without it being explicitly ex- explicitly stated that this is the why 
they they can make up any reason, any justification, any rationalization to say why you are approved and why you are not. Uh, and so let's let's not pretend, you know, or feign ignorance. Ignorance at this point is is very much so a decision because we see okay. the facts, we see the figures, we see the statistics and systems, whether they be explicit or implicit, remain in place, remain effective. Um, and and so we need to make sure that there are, are countermeasures in place to level and even out the, the the playing field, so to speak. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Justice um, Brown, she says something, or they, she's quoted as saying something. She said, though the law is supposed to be um, equal or we're all supposed to be equal in the eyes of the law, that does not mean that we're equal in the eyes of society. And mm -hmm. so we have to consider that. But of course, you know, people, I think it's difficult for people who are not affected by it to consider it. So that that's a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I, if I can be just quite honest with you, I'm really, really bothered. Um, I can't even express to you how bothered I am. I didn't really realize how bothered I was until we started having this conversation. Um, so last night, there were some. I saw some conversations on social media, and some of them were blaming the fact that people did not vote in the last election. So let me ask you this question. Uh, what implications do you think the last election had on this decision, if any? That's a, that is a very good question. And honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it had a significant impact on this decision. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't see, and I, you know, I'm not a, a, a political pundit by any stretch, but I don't see uh, a direct correlation that is substantive between the last election and this um, particular vote. I don't either. I think it has more to do with the system than it does the last election. That, that's my thought. But again, like you, I'm not a pundit either, nor am I a political analyst. Uh, but that was my initial thought. I think it's bigger than the last election. Agreed. Because I, well, let me not go there, just in case like somebody hears this podcast and I get sued. Um, but I will just say that some of the decisions as it relates to the people that are put in office are emblematic of the fact that there is a system in place that allows that kind of behavior and fosters those kind of those kind of decisions and makes it okay for those kinds of decisions. Absolutely. So from your perspective though, what are the futuristic implications of this decision? So if I wanted to look, look at it with a more positive lens, mm -hmm. I would say now we will see who is truly committed to diversity versus those who are obligated to diversity. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Because ultimately, when when a student applies to an institution, there is not some algorithm, there is not some machine that says yay or nay. These are people making decisions based on transcripts, based on essays, based on extracurriculars, based on stories, based on interviews, and I, you you can get a better sense of who a person is through that process beyond just looking at statistics. This is not an exercise in, you know, some sort of computational uh, method. This is really about choosing people. And I think we, we tend to forget that at times. These students are not just grades. They're not just scores. 
they're people. And an institution is not just about uh, the, the education or, or that, it's about the culture as well. And so having worked in higher ed now for over 20 years, a fit is not just, can you do the work? Right, right. It's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It goes so far beyond that. And, and what we should be committed to is bringing in people who we feel will have a wonderful collegiate experience. Even though you, you, you may have all the, the prerequisite scores and, and grades and, and you've volunteered here and done this or that, there may be an indicator that says, but this place probably wouldn't be a good fit for you. Makes sense. You know, and so, you because know, when the, the worst thing you can do is get into the school of your dreams and arrive and find out that it's the school of your nightmares. Wow. Wow. So, wow. So the whole idea of college is not just to prepare you academically, it's to prepare you for life and Absolutely. to prepare you socially. And so to some degree, um, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, affirmative action cripples a person's um capacity or their uh their ability to be prepared adequately for real life i was so one of the things that i consider one of the greatest gifts of my life was being in a diverse elementary school mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having that experience that early on yes sir i feel like set the tone for the rest of my life and unfortunately, there are so many students who do not have that opportunity until college. And so if now they don't even have it in college, what do they do in the real world? Mm. The workforce is the, probably the most difficult place to segregate. And so if you have not experienced diversity until you go to work, man, that is a... I can't even I couldn't I couldn't imagine, you know, my first interaction cross-culturally, multiculturally occurring as an adult. Yeah. That's wow. that, that's that's a tough proposition for me to reconcile. So then when a person doesn't have that experience, so then that causes them to be even further at a disadvantage. Yes. So then it makes it more impossible for the playing field to be as we say or as they say to be leveled. Yeah, and I, I think not often enough do we emphasize the benefits, the value, the importance of diversity. You know, it, it's too often framed by those uh, in the majority as a favor, as a handout. It's positioned as welfare. Mm. They don't see how they themselves benefit from it. They only see how it limits them or what it takes from them. And that was never the spirit of the law. That was never the intention. It was never to take from anyone. It was to give to everyone, to, yeah. give, an, to give opportunity to one group and to give exposure to the other. So it was always supposed to be about giving and everyone receiving something, but it, it's not viewed that way. Uh, based on your ideologies, based on your upbringing, based on, you know, all that sort of thing, all the things that contribute to racism to begin with. That's good. Wow. Okay. Such a brilliant man. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, you know, um, 
one of my favorite preachers on the planet, if not my favorite, is Bishop Jackie McCullough. And yes. um, last night I came across a, a Facebook live of her and she was preaching in St. Louis. And during her message, uh, she referenced systems that keep the underserved oppressed. Um, and how relevant is that message to this moment in history? Absolutely. Wow. And and again, I mean, the it's almost more difficult now because the systems are not screamed as they were once upon a time. They're whispered. Mm. Mm. And so even though for those of us who experience them, they are, are quite obvious, they are not always obvious to prove. Well, covert. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And so it's it's much harder now for us to overcome. It's much harder now for us to to be whistleblowers and, and that sort of thing, because people are having meetings that we're not invited to. People yeah. have languages that we are not privy to. Uh, and our approvals, our signatures, our it's, it's not necessary because it does not take a majority to have that influence. It just takes the right minority to have the influence. To keep mm -hmm. to keep the systems going, to keep them going strong. Wow. So how necessary is it for our churches to be a part of this conversation? And why is that necessary? Or is it necessary? <sighs> hard one? It it is a hard one because there's still so much segregation there too. Wow. Wow. Okay. So so one church is gonna say one thing. And another church is going to say something totally different That's and true. a house divided. Can't stand. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Cause they're two different perspectives, which creates two different narratives. Very, very. And if we are, you know, those who are not, those who are looking at it from the outside only see the church. They don't see this denomination and that denomination. No, no, no. So they say, well, they don't even agree. So it makes me even hesitant to, to, have the conversation under the auspices, under the, the umbrella of quote unquote, the church, because then it seems disjointed, it seems inconsistent and in all the things that are used against us already as an entity. Hmm. So, so how do we approach that? So of course we know that they're going to be your less, your, or let's say this way, your more conservative congregations who are in favor of affirmative action being revoked. Mm -hmm. um, but for those of us that recognize the value of it, how should we approach the conversation? Uh, approach it in your in your circles of influence and, and approach it as a person of influence. So I don't need to approach it as uh, the church. I approach it as a man who is impacted, who has knowledge and understanding, who has studied the, the subject matter, who can uh, well articulate the the importance and the impact right so it is about it's about the message it is about the platforms that that we have been afforded and using them using them properly uh, more so than it is to say this is what the church is saying about affirmative action because i mean at the end of the day affirmative action is not a is not a, a spiritual issue brought you know i mean in terms of it's it's not a key to salvation i'll put it that way Right. Um, there are there are certainly spiritual implications behind the motivations and all that good stuff. So For I'm not sure. saying that there is no spiritual aspect to this situation itself, but the 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 addressing of the issue because of whom it needs to be addressed with 
needs to be more intellectual, in my opinion. That's good. That's good. So as we come to a conclusion or as we end this conversation, what would you say to our community at large that is concerned, or should I say to the African-American community, that's concerned about this new um, state of events or you know th- this new, yeah, where we are in history? What would you say to them? The first thing I would say is your feelings are valid. Mm-hmm. Your hurt, your disappointment, your anger, your frustration, all valid. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The second I would the second thing I would say is um, we have to be able to overcome the emotion of the moment to strategize about the uh, the ways in which we can effectively address this moment. And for us, I think what it's going to require is is just creating more opportunity yeah. because it's not going to be handed to us. And so if we if we are really, really upset about it, if we're really angry, we have a lot of resources in our community. And so now's the time to to show and prove. So let me let me let me ask you this question. Um, this morning I was doing some self-reflection mm-hmm. and I'll be transparent for a moment. You can lay me out after we get off the um, after we get off the podcast. Um I was doing some reflection this morning and you asked me, you asked me when first got on, you asked me how I was and I didn't answer intentionally. And, um, and I realized that I am fatigued. Yeah. Um, and so what do you say to the other, to other African-Americans who are just tired? So this is where we find value and strength in unity. If you know anything about choirs, when when a choir holds that long note, everybody ain't holding that note all that time. Staggered breathing. I'm telling you, someone is always singing. We don't all take our breath at the same time. We don't all pause at the same time, but we do pause. Yes, sir. And so blacks and, and people of color everywhere need to understand that pausing is allowed. We just can't all pause at the same time. Right. That's good. Such a brainiac. <laughs> you know, some people are so smart, they just get on your nerves. Reverend Wertham is one of those people. Now, this, this is my guy. <laughs> but I promise you, he's a brainiac. His brain is annoying. Like, he thinks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Goodbye, sir. <laughs> so, Reverend Wertham, if you would, do us a favor and just give us, just just pray. Just pray, if you would. Absolutely. Uh, Gracious God, we we thank you. We thank you for this day that you have allowed us to see. We thank you, God, for this moment with all of its victories and all of its uh, defeats, with all of its trauma and all of its healing. We thank you, God, because you're in the midst of it all. And we pray right now, God, for literally the soul of this nation. We pray, God, that that hearts be turned towards you so that we might see one another through your eyes and not through the eyes of hate, not through the eyes of prejudice, not through the eyes of entitlement, oh God, but through the eyes of love. I pray God for those who are just brokenhearted today, those who are, as as Reverend Elliot put it, fatigued in every sense of the word, just tired of the moment, tired of the cycle. Uh, I pray God strength and encouragement to those individuals peace to their minds that they might settle themselves and get quiet and still enough to hear from you to receive instruction 
Lord God, but th that's the only way we'll know which way to go. We need to hear from you. Teach us, God, how to articulate. Teach us, God, how to express ourselves in ways that are effective, in ways, Lord God, that are relatable. Help us to break through every barrier, every barrier in the name of Jesus. Empower us, strengthen us, anoint us for this moment. And above all, God, let the things that we say and the things that we do, even in the face of our oppressors, bring you glory. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that fervent and powerful prayer, Reverend Wortham. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of The Lifeline. Don't forget to check us out at www.simplybje.com and our social media sites. God bless you, my friend. Have an incredible day on purpose. And once again, we want to say thank you to Reverend Timothy Wortham, Jr., for taking time out of his schedule to be a part of this Lifeline Cafe. Remember, everyone, to have an incredible day, as I said, and remember that, as Reverend Wortham said, what you feel is valid. God bless you. Thank you for tuning into the Lifeline Podcast, and it is our hope that we added life and value to your day. God bless. God bless.